Drew Alpern, the team of brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Monday edition of Fangraphs Audio is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, making his usual Monday appearance, if I didn't say that. Uh, it's Monday, and he's making an appearance. I think we've established that so far. Uh, in late November and early December uh, brought a lot of moves uh, from the Major League Baseball. Fewer of those moves have occurred within the last week, and so uh, we have a more relaxed Dave Cameron than, than we have in, in recent episodes, and a less ornery one. Uh, however, we also have a still uh, sick one, sick with a cold of some sort, uh, and so Dave uh, Dave Cameron's uh, throat is scratchy. When, uh, one would not be surprised uh, to hear Dave Cameron announce, let me clear my throat, let me clear my throat, uh, just like uh, rapper DJ Cool uh, from the 1996 single of the same name, let me clear my throat. Uh, he doesn't say that, though. What he does say are uh, some things with regard to, first of all, the Mariners, who have uh, continued to make moves over the last week, including uh, acquisitions both of Logan Morrison and Corey Hart, some conversations both uh, with regard to Roberto Hernandez, who went to the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, Mike Morse before that, uh, who was signed with the San Francisco Giants, and other uh, topics, various and sundry. Stop this introduction now, though, so we can get to that conversation. Uh, it is Fangraphs Audio. It does feature managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. sound entirely impressed when you answer the phone. Sorry, I'm still uh, fighting the cold. God. Yeah. Were you doing that the whole time at the winter meetings as well? Yeah. Huh. Have you tried uh, rest? Yes. Hmm. Uh, have you tried uh, chicken soup? Um, no. But uh pretty sure that that's not, not actually a medicine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. I, I got nothing else for you. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. You're right. I don't come to you for medical advice. No, I wouldn't. I definitely yeah. wouldn't. I don't come to you for a lot of advice, actually. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I, mean, I, can't, I don't know. Yeah. Mystery. Yeah. Uh. Well, here you are. Anyway, uh, we might as well do a podcast. We might as well. Mm-hmm. We, uh, oh, well, <clears throat> uh, in terms of, uh, it's not unfinished business or whatever, but, uh, uh, I'll be having dinner tonight with, uh, one of our colleagues. Well, really, our, our boss. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I have heard he has arrived. Yeah. I saw him yesterday too. He's in Paris, France. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how are you guys getting along? Uh, decently, uh, except uh, my uh, my wife is a little bit mouthy. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, I know. I've met Callie, and I, uh, I of the two of you, yeah. she is definitely the one I would describe as mouthy. Yeah, that's right. right. So she she had rude things to say about Appleman, and even ruder things to say right to Appleman's uh, wife's face. I mean, terrible, right. terrible stuff. Yeah, right. I I don't know why you married her. No, yeah, neither do I. Sometimes, most of the time, really. Yeah. Um. Less has happened. This is not to say that nothing has happened, but less has happened since we last spoke than had uh, occurred the week before that. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Um, uh, I guess uh, some signings have gone on. I mean, it uh, it doesn't make sense just to go down the list, uh, although I guess there's some notable ones. I, I, the Mariners have signed some more people since we last spoke. 
Well, they signed one person and they made a trade. Right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> precisely, yes. They signed Corey Hart. Um, and they also traded for Logan Morrison. Yes. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's, uh, I can be excused for this. I think most people could be excused for not really having kept up with Logan Morrison's performance over the last couple of years because, um, there's not a lot, you know, and, and as you note in your, your piece about him, he had that, uh, pretty promising season as a, uh, rather young player in, I guess, at 2010 at this point. Yeah, um, right. His, his rookie year was, uh, or half a year was pretty good. Right. Offensively, at least. Yes, right. He's never been able to play the outfield. Right. But of course, that's not really his fault. I mean, I guess it's, it, there are a lot of people who can't play the outfield in the major leagues. Right. Uh, and they just aren't asked to, yeah. Right. They're not asked to. And he, and he has been, and maybe he will be again. So the Mariners have a strange situation in so far as, uh, well, of course, we know they have Robinson Cano, um, and they have in, Justin Smoke and Jesus Montero, two players who uh, are first base DH types. They do. Jesus Montero won't be on the team, though. Uh, they basically all but said that Montero is going to start the year in AAA unless they give him away before the season starts. Uh, he does not factor into their plans at this point. Okay, so he was never really an issue. But they've signed now, or they've acquired, uh, by varying means, Corey Hart and Logan Morrison. Correct. Uh, so one assumes that uh, – now, neither of these players we've mentioned with regard to Morrison, uh, not necessarily a great outfield defender. Corey Hart, uh, even before he uh, missed an entire season with a knee problem. Two, two knee problems. Surgery on both knees. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's even that's, – that's all the knees you have, really. Right, yes. Yeah. 100% of the knees were yeah. surgerized. Right, and he wasn't necessarily known uh, for his – um, excellent range in the outfield before that. Correct. So do you have a sense of who's playing where then in uh, yeah, Seattle? So, so because the Mariners don't really care about defense anymore, uh, the plan as it stands is for Morrison and Hart to essentially share two jobs. Uh, one will be the left fielder and one will be the DH, and they will they will trade off so that neither of them has to be a full-time outfielder. Um so the plan is basically for Hart and Morrison to each play three days a week in the outfield and three days a week at DH, and then you know potentially uh, one of them would you know rest on the other day, and theoretically they would get some kind of speed and defense uh, fifth outfielder type uh, who would play left field one day a week while the other one would DH. So they'll they'll DH slightly more than they play the field, but uh, you're looking at one of those two being in left field six out of seven days. At least that's the the plan, obviously. If one of them uh, gets re-injured or or injures a new part of their body, uh, you would uh, assume that they would uh, the other one would probably DH and they would replace them with a left fielder. So um, you would hope that the the plan was not for these guys to combine to play 150 games in the outfield, uh, given what the Mariners saw from Michael Morrison, Raul Abanez in the outfield last year. But they have not seemed to learn their lesson in their endless pursuit of bats. They're just trying to stick them places where they probably don't belong. Uh, oh God! Yeah. Well, that sounds painful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I think uh, uh, I think unfortunately for the Mariners, they look at it and say, "We don't score enough runs. We need to get hitters," and then they figure out where to put them later. Is uh, it true that they don't score? Because they didn't actually. I, I I feel like maybe during the 2013 season, uh, teams like ratio of home runs. You know, generally speaking, there's going to be a, a decent ratio of home runs to runs scored for any team, right? Gonna be a regular yeah. correlation, not a hundred percent, but uh, the Mariners, I believe, had the 
highest percentage of home runs per run scored at, at some point during the season, if not at the end part. Yeah, they finished the year second in the majors in home runs and 22nd run scored. Right, which would suggest that they uh, had problems getting on base, I guess. Yeah, correct. They basically filled their lineup with a bunch of low on-base sluggers. Uh, Corey Hart is, you know, a medium on-base slugger, but, you know, kind of cut from the same mold. If you look at, like, walk rates and strikeout rates and, and uh, you know, batting average on balls in play, he's actually pretty similar to Michael Morse. So they're basically taking that experiment uh, and doing it again just in a different package. Uh, I think Hart is better than Morse, and this time at least they didn't give up a productive player to get him. Uh, but it's basically the same bet. And Logan Morrison, I think you could argue, is not that different than Raul Abanez, at least in terms of expected performance. He's a different kind of player. He's not going to have the same power. He'll probably draw more walks. Uh, but he's a, you know, a pretty atrocious outfield defender uh, who should spend most of his time at first base or DH. Uh, and I think you know Morrison's going to replace most of what Abanez gave the Mariners last year, maybe be a little bit better depending on how much he plays the outfield. Uh, but I think, you know, essentially the Mariners have imported a new Michael Morse and a new Raul Abanez to replace the ones they had last year because it worked so well. The, um, and, of course, this means the end probably of uh, Abraham Almonte's possibility of starting in the, uh, uh, the aforementioned, not in this pod, not in this edition of the podcast, but in a recent one. Yeah, I think right now he would be the speed and defense outfielder who plays one day a week. Okay. Maybe not great for his development, but he's also old, a little bit older, too. He's so. 25. I don't think they care about his development too much. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. And so one assumes that they'll make a move, another move, or no? Yeah, they're not done. I mean, they still have a lot of money to spend. There's still rumors they might be in on Nelson Cruz, uh, who is another one of these aggressive, low-on-base, slugging, right-handed power guys that they really seem to love. Uh, so there's some chance they could throw way too much money his direction. Uh, there's been a rumor out there for a little while that Nelson Cruz has actually turned down an offer from the Mariners already. Uh, so that's, you know, a chance they could go after him. Uh, they also want another starting pitcher, so they're probably going to go after one of, like, the Urban Santana, Baldo Jimenez, Matt Garza, Masahiro Tanaka types, uh, which will be resolved once teams know if Tanaka's getting posted or not. Uh, and then they've said they want a closer, so I would expect them to overpay for Fernando Rodney or Grant Balfour or Joaquin Benoit or perhaps trade for Jonathan Papelon. Okay, all right. So, uh, well, let's get off a slightly more, more a fraught subject, or, or a, well, we'll get off. This has been a slightly fraught subject for you, maybe very fraught. Uh, but uh, you did mention that, um, of course, Mike Mike Morris did play for the Mariners last year. Um, he is now a giant, which is strange insofar as the Giants, in recent years, have had a uh, I'll call it, I'll call it a surfeit of sort of uh, speedy, uh, well, non Aubrey Huff, uh, sort of speedy athletic outfielders. In that they've had Angel Pagan, they've had Andres Torres, they've had a lot of Gregor Blanco, who's been good for them. And I guess they will still have Gregor Blanco, but not in a starting capacity, it seems like. Well, I think the reality with Michael Morse is you can't really count on him. So I think Morse can be brought in. They can pencil him in as their opening day left fielder, but he's going to need a day off on the second day. And maybe he'll need a trip to the disabled list by the second week. I mean, I think Morse has proven to be very injury prone, uh, especially at this point in his career, shouldn't be asked to play the field too much. Uh, is going to have to be replaced defensively fairly frequently with any time when the team has a lead late in the game. I would expect that Blanco's going to end up with more playing time out there. Uh, and, you know, I think there's some argument to be made that if you really want to put Michael Morris in the lineup, the more correct path would be to play him at first base and put Brandon Belt in left field. Because Brandon Belt, certainly not a good outfielder, probably better than Michael Morse. Okay, yeah, and so, but it's a curious thing, right, because 
Well, so the Giants are always a, a bit of a difficult topic anyway because uh, um, <clears throat> uh, they make curious moves uh, or they have made some curious moves uh, and yet they've uh, they've won a couple World Series in the last yeah. five years. And so uh, one always, you, you know, even if you're compelled to say, oh, that's a strange thing, uh, they've done, they've performed, right? So it's it's hard to be very critical at this point. Uh, but the yeah. Mike Moore signing is a bit curious. Uh, not to say that what um, the base salary of six million dollars is astronomical, but uh, of course, one, you know, six million dollars is six million dollars. You can spend it on other things. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we can say a couple things about the Giants organization. Is they've generally had a fetish for older players. Uh, you know, like guys on the downside of their careers, they've, you know, generally had a lot of older position players, uh, and they've done a really good job of developing, uh, young pitchers. So obviously one of the reasons they've won two whole World Series is the development of guys like Tim Lincecum and Madison Bumgarner and Matt Cain, uh, you know, Buster Posey, you could throw him into the mix, not a young pitcher, but you know, a pretty important piece in why they won two World Series. So their player development, their drafting, their scouting has been excellent. Uh, their major league, uh, additions to their roster have been a little more questionable, but at the same time, they've hit on guys like Marco Scudero and Angel Pagan, uh, you know, who are undervalued kind of savory type players, uh, and they've done a good job of identifying those guys and, and plugging them into holes. Um, I do think that Morse is not that kind of player, and this is probably a move they're gonna regret. I think, you know, there were, there were places where Mike Morse could have gone for $5 million, and it would have been a perfectly reasonable move, but those places would have involved him playing first base and DH. I think really putting Mike Morse in the outfield is, uh, a mistake. He just cannot play the field in a major league level, uh, and not well enough to compensate for his mediocre, uh, offensive performance. If he was Miguel Cabrera, you'd live with the defense in left field. He's not Miguel Cabrera. You shouldn't live with the defense in left field. Yeah. Um, at least not before marriage. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. a problem. Uh, yeah, that, well, it's strange. I guess we'll see what happens. The Giants were not good this year, if I recall. Yeah, they were uh, a poor, poor major league team. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that's the league in which they're playing, so that's kind yeah. of what matters, right? Yeah. Um, the, uh, <coughs> the Phillies, who... Actually, the Phillies have been praised more than not by you this offseason, it seems like, more than one might generally expect. But uh, And they've made another move, which on the face of it seems like a quite positive one, in adding Roberto Hernandez for maybe, like, no money? Yeah, I wouldn't say I've praised the Phillies as much as I've defended individual moves. Like, the Carlos Ruiz contract is totally reasonable given who Carlos Ruiz is and what he's expected to do in the future. Uh, the Roberto Hernandez move is actually a good move. He was, you know, one of my free agent bargains of the offseason. I think he's a, the kind of pitcher who, uh, you should be expected to perform significantly better than he has in the past. Uh, and right, for very little money and very little risk, uh, he's a nice rotation upgrade for them, or at least, uh, rotation depth. Uh, I think moves like this help the Phillies. The problem is they seem to have no clear direction. So while they're signing Marlon Bird and Carlos Ruiz and, and making signs that they're going to contend, they're also reportedly putting Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels on the trade block. Uh, and if you look at the roster, they project to be one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. So uh, I think in isolation, some of their moves make sense. It, you know, is there a big picture uh, plan that seems to, you know, be cohesive with the moves they're making? Not really. Uh, I mean, I might already have some suspicions about the answer to this question, but I've never asked it. What are the clubs do you think that do demonstrate uh, a sort of big picture plan 
most consistently and where you look at each of their moves and you say uh, this is very much the sort of move that this club has made uh, and and from what we can tell will continue to make i mean i think most clubs are fairly good about making moves that are uh, in a, in a direction that go along with the other moves they're making, right? So you, usually contenders will make moves to make their team better, and rebuilding clubs will make moves for prospects or for unloading salary and, and, uh, building up their future ability to contend. I think in, in general teams are fairly consistent with these kinds of moves. I think there are a few franchises like the Phillies and maybe the Brewers, and I think you can almost throw the Diamondbacks in that mix right now, where you say, you know, they're just making moves just to make moves, or they're trying to make their team better, but there's not really an obvious end goal on, on, uh, you know, how this is going to turn into a championship either now or in the future. Um, and I think, you know, these teams probably all have something in common, and they're not the most um, analytically inclined, and they're more just, you know, old school scout type organizations who are trying to say, okay, we'll take this one year at a time. We just want, you know, we want to win and we'll figure it out later. Is there a point, you know, uh, Kevin Towers, well, we just talked about this with regard to Brian Sabian and the rest of the Giants front office, right? Where, uh, despite the fact that there have been some curious moves, you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, their player development, um, you know, talent evaluators have been pretty good, but, uh, they, they are, uh, despite some curious moves, uh, they've won. Uh, Kevin Towers um, is, of course, he's the GM of one of the teams you mentioned, the Diamondbacks, and uh, I don't know that uh, he's not necessarily had a World Series winning team, but he's had some decent clubs. Is there a certain point at which a GM is uh, sort of beyond reproach? And it's not necessarily reproach, but where you you concede that there must be a plan. I mean, this happens with Andrew Friedman sometimes, right? And the and the Rays where they signed like when they signed Delman Young. Uh, and you say there must be something there, but of course they use Diamond Young. You know, they use maybe it's just a question of how you use the player in question. Well, I think they got Delman Young on a minor league contract for no money, right? Like I don't think there's such a thing as a minor league contract that should be criticized. Like if you're just adding a guy to your organization for for depth purposes, uh, and you think you know there's some chance he might do some one thing well for you, and it doesn't cost you any money, you might as well. Uh, I think you know there. Uh, this is kind of the argument that was made with Dave Dombrowski, right? Like, Dombrowski has a lot of respect within baseball. The Tigers have been good. The Expos were good when he was there. I mean, you know, Dombrowski is kind of seen as one of, like, the, uh, the architects of good teams in baseball with a long track record of success. So when he makes, like, pretty curious decisions of, uh, you know, how to spend their money or, you know, how to allocate their money, trading Doug Fister for a bag of balls, uh, everyone's like, well, you know, it's Dave Dombrowski. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. It, I understand the desire to uh, uh, just assume that uh, a person with a track record of success knows what they're doing. And I think that there's absolutely something to giving someone uh, the benefit of the doubt when it's not obvious, uh, you know, what the result is one way or another. I, at the same time, people are human. People make uh, uh, evaluative errors. And I think it's fair to say when someone like Dave Dombrowski or Brian Sabian or someone who's had success – uh, makes a makes a trade or makes a signing that is uh, basically indefensible, and I think you know the Doug Fister trade comes pretty close to being indefensible, uh, at least relative to what other teams think Doug Fister is worth uh, and what and what the Tigers received in exchange for him. Uh, I think it's fair to say 
uh, he's still a human being. He still makes mistakes. We shouldn't treat these guys like popes uh, and say, you know, they they are where they are. Let's appeal to authority. We can't know what they know. They must understand something we don't know because the reality is they're making a transaction with another GM who we could make that same appeal to authority as, where people are like, oh, man, Dave Dombrowski must know something about Doug Fister. You're now saying that Mike Rizzo is an idiot and doesn't know that thing about Doug Fister. Uh, you know, so I think whenever there's a trade uh, and two parties agree, we can't just appeal to the authority of one without kind of uh, denigrating the authority of the other. Uh, and, you know, while Dave Dombrowski has probably been more successful than Mike Rizzo, I don't think we should uh, decide that one authority holds a lot of weight and the other authority holds no weight. Uh, you, you mentioned that these guys aren't popes. Um... With regard to the popes, do you, I mean, do you think the present one would be a good GM? And do, do you think he would have been? That's Pope Francis, of course. Do you think he would have been better than Benedict or uh, or John Paul III or second? I should say. I, I have to say that I am not a uh, uh, I'm not a Catholic for one, so I don't know the <laughs> I don't know the popes probably as well as some others would. Uh, my general sense is that this pope is more uh, into equality and. Uh, maybe social issues than some other popes before him, which seemed to not be a great thing for a GM because being a GM is about as capitalist as possible and you want to hoard all the talent. Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah, he, he, he would be a little soft, you think. I think he might just be, like, loading out players to the Marlins because they're terrible. Like, oh, oh, as, well, like, an active. You know. Yeah, and plus, I think we should also recognize there are probably a lot of Catholics in Miami. That's right. He might say, you know, my parish down there is really struggling. They have to watch Greg Dobbs on a regular basis. I feel mm-hmm. like this is a wrong that I should correct. Mm-hmm. Let me give them Miguel Cabrera just so that they can appreciate what real talent looks like. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that way I'm doing good for the people. Yeah. Yeah, that might be a, yeah, that might be a, a weakness that he has as far as, as, far as managing a, a club goes. I will also say that um, I've done a clandestine Wikipedia search for uh, the, a list of popes uh, while you were speaking. And actually one of the, uh, the returns that comes up with list of popes is also list of sexually active popes. So if anyone wants to know a list of all the sexually active popes, yeah, that's available. That's just available on the internet. That's what I'm trying to say, Dave Cameron. I think everything is available on the internet. Yeah, that's true. I should have uh, should have regarded that. Um, I mean, there are a lot of you're also a sick person. I don't want to I don't want to keep you forever. Uh, but uh, can you can you? Uh, we'll make this the last thing until I say there's another last thing. Um, can you give us a status report, really, on the Masahiro Tanaka situation? You mentioned that uh, there's been some change. Perhaps to the way that the posting system has occurred, has, is that affecting the Tanaka situation? Also, maybe just Rakuten, 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 Golden Eagles are, they're trying to convince him to stay, perhaps. What is the, what is the status presently of that situation? So basically, Major League Baseball went to the MPB and said, our posting system agreement has expired. We want to change this. We don't want to pay these outrageous posting fees anymore. We want to transfer some money that's going from the team to the player because we don't think it's right that, you know, you, Darvish, gets $50 million and the team who posts them get $50 million. We want to change the calculation in, in where the $120 million goes so that the player gets a larger chunk of the pie. Uh, the MPB team's obviously not huge fans of this, but didn't really have a lot of a choice. Uh, this is kind of a major revenue stream for them. So eventually they agreed to a system that uh, caps the posting fee at $20 million. Teams can ask for a posting fee of less than that, but it, the most that they can get for any player is $20 million. Uh, because of this 
Rakuten, who was the one team who did not vote to approve these changes, they voted against it, has decided that there's not a, a huge benefit for them posting uh, Tanaka this offseason because they still control his rights through next year as well. So if the posting fee is now the maximum posting fee they can receive is $20 million, it is probably more valuable to them to hold Tanaka for another year, have Tanaka pitch for them, have him help them win, and then post him next offseason and get $20 million. In previous winters with Darvish and, and other players, uh, you could make an argument that the posting fee would go down each year uh, because there's a risk of injury because of the fact that you're posting them at a younger age. Uh, you know, if you're posting a 28-year-old, you might not get as much as a 25-year-old. Uh, so there was incentive to post players earlier in their careers and get larger posting fees. Now that the posting fee has been capped, there's no real incentive for Rakuten to uh, post Tanaka this offseason. Uh, if they believe he can stay healthy, then they can get their $20 million next offseason. Uh, so from their perspective, I think they're in no rush to give up their best player uh, for no extra gain. Um, I think we can almost look at it like an extra year of team control, right? Like uh, this is essentially a league minimum season for uh, Rockerton. If you look at the $20 million posting fee as being uh, their reward either this season or next season, why would they give up uh, a, a free season of his performance uh, when they're going to get the same price either way? So I think the new system encourages t- teams in Japan to keep their star players as long as possible. And that's one of the reasons why I think the system is stupid. I, I mean, I think Major League Baseball does a lot of things right. But stuff like this, they just seem to get wrong on a regular basis. Well, yeah. And now, are, are there are there individual teams? Do you suppose that are bummed by the 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 um, hard ceiling on the the twenty uh, on the posting fee? Because I assume that there are teams that are very interested in winning that would love to have Tanaka on their uh, as part of their clubs. Yeah, I think the teams like the Yankees and Red Sox are probably, uh, you know, unhappy with the fact that they do not have a built-in advantage when it comes to acquiring all the uh, best players from Japan, and that money was not counted against luxury tax. So in the Yankees' case, if they really were planning on Tanaka before the posting system was changed, they could have said, hey, we're going to get them for $150 million, but $75 million of that's going to go to the t- Japanese team, and we're not going to have to pay uh, luxury tax money on that, we're just going to be able to have to knock out $75 million over six years. It'll be like an $11 million or $12 million uh, luxury tax payment. Uh, that's easily something we can handle. Now, under the new system, where $20 million is going to go to the team and 100 some odd million is going to go to the player, uh, the cost of having him on the books and the tax you have to pay is a lot higher. So baseball has basically spun this as a competitive balance issue. Uh, and, you know, I think there is something to the fact that uh, this will at least help teams who don't have $60 million in cash laying around a bit on the top players. Uh, but the price for the players is basically going to be the same or maybe even higher now that there's going to be market bidding involved. I think the, the reality is the, the Darvishes and the talk as the best players are still going to go for over $100 million, which is going to price out the A's and the Pirates and the Rays. Uh, this isn't going to help funnel players to those teams. Now, um, I want to say one other thing about uh, you, you mentioned uh, MLB uh, sometimes not understanding situations or sometimes being frustrating uh, in certain circumstances. Uh, this weekend, uh, for uh, it, it was too long. I don't know why it took me so long, I should say, to do it, but I saw Pelotero. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's quite good. Oh, it is quite good, and it yeah. uh, can be frustrating at times uh, because of the situation. I won't give the the whole thing away, but it, it covers the, uh, or it follows, um, Miguel Sano, who of course is a top prospect in the Angel system. And then, Twins. um, Twins. right, his middle name is Angel. 
right. That's right. Yeah. That doesn't automatically get him signed by the Angels. It turns no, out. No, it does not. No, he's a he's a, he doesn't have a twin, so far as we know. But um, um, but he is yes, he's in the twin system. And then uh, what? Uh, Jean Carlos Batista. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jean Carlos Batista, who is in the uh, Houston system, I guess still he didn't have a full complement of plate appearances this year. I, I noticed. Uh, so I don't know where it was, and he is sort of a uh, – he was not uh, as um, celebrated a prospect at the time, uh, but found his way onto team's radars. In any case, uh, yeah, one finds that there was uh, – that Sano's process in uh, even becoming eligible uh, for the July 2nd signing date was, uh, was a difficult one, and it's seemingly unnecessarily difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think the – so the problem that Major League Baseball is running into is that, you know, there are obviously a lot of incentives for players to lie about their age. Uh, anytime you have a system where two players were identical, uh, but the 16-year-old will get a huge signing bonus and the 19-year-old will basically get ignored, uh, there's incentive for every 19-year-old to pretend he's 16. And so, uh, you know, along with the, the uh, immigration services who don't want people sneaking into the U.S. under false names and false identities, uh, basically, baseball doesn't want their teams throwing millions of dollars away on prospects who are lying about their age. So there has to be some kind of system in place in order to vet these records. But these records are often shoddy, and they're from you know uh, developing countries where they're you know uh, written down on paper and and maybe filed away somewhere for no one to ever find again. So it's not an easy process, and I think uh, there's so much room for judgment in the process that it's also very easy to insert corruption in the process and i think that's what we see with uh vasano negotiations with pittsburgh in the, in the film uh you know spoiler alert he doesn't sign with pittsburgh anyone who knows miguel sano <laughs> in, the, in the minor leagues knows he didn't end up signing with the pirates but uh there's a, you know there's a pirate scout in the film who uh offers to do some pretty shady things and i think um because it's such a uh kind of hands-on manual labor kind of task there's no real way to automate out corruption, uh, and that's going to remain a problem for Major League Baseball as long as these incentives remain in place. Right. Yeah, it was actually uh, it was interesting to sort of see, uh, to get a sense of some of the technology that's used, uh, because I think at some point, so Sano undergoes, um, by order, I guess, of Major League Baseball, undergoes a number of tests. One of them is uh, just is like a DNA test uh, yeah. to pair him with his own his mother. Another is a bone scan to get a, an approximation of his age given the growth of his bones, um, uh, and it's uh, it's pretty invasive. As you as you mentioned, right? There's a incentive both for Major League Baseball and also just the United States to make sure that um, anyone is who he or she says he is, you know, entering the country. But um, you you know, at, at a certain point, at least so far as the narrative of that film is concerned. It doesn't seem like there's much else Miguel Sano could do um, to prove that he is who he is, right? Like right. all the information is there. It's, he can't do anything. And then it just becomes, uh, as you mentioned, sort of a, a bargaining chip for – well, in that case for the Pirates, uh, for one Pirate scout at least. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is there's no easy solution here, is that you you have these systems in place that do take time, that do require some significant diligence in order to verify 
they do require a lot of human interaction, and anytime you have that, you're you're adding in the possibility of um, you know corruption or uh, malfeasance. And so I think uh, this is a this is a, like with the posting system where it's pretty cut and dried that there are better options, or at least there seem to be better options on the on the surface. I watched Pelotero and you know felt bad for Sano and felt bad for the kind of the people in the system, but at the same time, I don't know how you fix it, right? Like, as long as there are million-dollar incentives for people to lie about their age, you need systems in place to try and figure out who's lying about their age. Right. How old are you, Dave Cameron? Uh, I believe I, my birth certificate will say I'm 33. Uh-huh. No, no bone scans have been done to prove that, however. Yeah, that's right. Although you've had uh, some invasive bone surgeries or probably something. Yeah, they're called bone marrow biopsies, and they are terrible. Ugh, that sounds like the worst. I mean, not to gross out all the listeners, but basically what they do is they drill through your bone, and then they reach inside your bone with a hook and kind of fish out the bone marrow from inside. And, you know, when they're doing the the procedure, they can numb the outside of the bone before they drill into it. They have no capability of numbing the inside of the bone. So you're just having a fishing hook, essentially, scraping bone marrow out of the inside of your bone without any kind of anesthesia. Wait, what is the nerve situation down on the bone and and inside the bone? Sensitive, I would say. Ugh. Yeah. So what what do you do when they're doing it? You look around? You're, you're laying on a table face down, and they're, you know, drilling into a bone, generally just over your hip or around your hip area. Can you just uh, weep? Are you allowed to just weep openly? You can. They do give you some kinds of, like, drugs, like, to try and, uh, you know, sedate you a little bit, but you're awake for the procedure. They need you to be awake for the procedure. So you're conscious of the fact of what you're doing. You can feel them yanking. You, know, you get pulled in general directions while they're trying to scrape bone marrow. <laughs> it's it's really quite unpleasant. I think you should share that because I think that regardless of how uncomfortable it makes, like, a sissy like me, for example, you actually had to do it. Yeah, four times. Ah, yeah. Stop. The, the last, the last bone marrow biopsy I had was to confirm that there was no uh, leukemia left in my body. Uh, it's kind of an outpatient procedure where they do it and then they, you know, you sit around for a little bit and then you go home. Uh, so I go, you know, it's probably been an hour or something since they were scraping around inside of me. So I get up, I walk to the uh, checkout desk, and as I'm there, the pain of what has happened to me overwhelms me, and I almost passed out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you didn't have a wheelchair? They uh, they give you a chance to walk on your own, and then like as I'm going down, I you know my wife works at the hospital where I was being treated. <laughs> I like make some notion to the lady sitting at the desk. I'm like, call my wife, and then I hit the ground, <laughs> and, uh, and so she comes running, and they put me in a wheelchair, and they take me to the back, and they give me water, and uh, oh, you know, they, they take care of you at that point, but they give you a chance to walk out on your own before. Uh, and you know, it doesn't happen to everyone. I think it has some very odd name, uh, Eggle Bagel or something. Eggle Bagel. Uh, yeah, it's definitely yeah, it, Eggle Bagel. It, it's something <laughs> along the waggle waggle. It's, so, there's some name, uh, for the pain that hits you at, at the kind of the end and causes you to collapse. And I oh, I would much rather just look at a, list of sexually active popes on Wikipedia. Yeah, right. I, I would have too. That would have been better. Oh, All right. Well, we'll end on that note. Uh, why don't you go, I don't know, get as much rest as you can. Thanks. All right. Uh, that's been uh, that's been Dave Cameron, the managing editor of Fangraphs, uh, demonstrating grit and want to uh, in this edition of uh, Fangraphs. How are you on? Carson Sestouli, 
That's been that that has been Fangraph Audio, as I mentioned. Bye. Bye. Bye.